Hey guys, I'm Adam Rapport. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Uh, we were lucky to have Yasmin Khan stop by the offices a few weeks ago. So we're airing this extra episode of that conversation for you today. Amanda Shapiro, editor of Healthy-ish, uh, chatted with Yasmin about her latest cookbook, Zaytun, which was a pick for the BA Cookbook Club a couple months back. It chronicles her travels throughout Palestine, and it tells the stories of the people she met, and it shares the recipes from those people. And if you haven't picked up a copy yet, you most certainly should. Okay, happy Friday, everybody. Here is Amanda and Yasmin. Yasmin, I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, I love your book, Zaytun. We had it as part of our cookbook club um, a few months ago, and I raved about it then, and I wrote about it then, and I'm still raving about it. I find it just to be um, such a great mix of a cookbook that also tells um, a lot of really incredible stories. So I wanted to talk to you first about your own story. You have a little bit of an unconventional background for a food writer, and uh, I'd love to just hear a little bit about how you found your way to food from, uh, was it a law degree that you, that you have to begin with? Yeah, I mean, it's about as dry as you can get. And I was sitting there studying, you know, treaties and uh, laws. Um, it's about as far away as you can get from like the creative intensity of a, of a kitchen. But I think that in a way, my you know, connection to the food world just started from such a young age because my family, are, my grandparents were farmers. And I think anyone who's grown up around fresh produce it just installs in you from such a young age this real reverence of, I mean, definitely vegetables. And, you know, I mean, we were, you know, my, my family would grow rice, but then also all kinds of plants, like, you know, eggplants and peppers and tomatoes and cucumbers. And so, you know, cooking a meal, you know, would, would very much be about kind of going off and getting eggs and getting beans and getting vegetables and getting rice all from the land. And we had chickens and oh, we had cows, you know, so I was like milking a cow like when I was like, <laughs> four years old so I think that's what started my love of food but it wasn't until I was a lot older um, when I was around 30 that I decided to make the the, the real shift um, I was working for a British charity in London I'd been working for non-profits throughout my 20s um, for different kind of human rights campaign groups and you know as often happens for people working on those quite intense subjects I mean I was working on stuff like deaths following contact with the police or um, Israel-Palestine or the, you know, the continuing kind of occupations of Iraq and Afghanistan. So, I mean, you know, pretty heavy stuff. I just ended up having like a classic burnout. Like I just, yeah. And you were still pretty young at that time, yeah, right? 30. Yeah, that's pretty young to really burn out. Really young, really young. But it's, enough you know. time to start a new career. Yeah, absolutely. And I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue, which kind of basically leaves you with very little energy to do anything. But I could cook. And it was during that process of, I guess, healing from that illness and recovering that I refound my love of food. And as part of my... Um, yeah, time off from my job. I ended up going to Iran to spend some time with my grandmother. My grandfather had recently passed away. And, and while I was there, I set myself this task of asking different family members what their favorite recipes were and if they would show them to me. And while we were cooking together, I would just stick my iPhone down and record what we were saying. And, and I'd use that opportunity when we were in the kitchen, you know, chopping onions or, you know, I don't know, 
making uh, dumplings, um, I'd use that opportunity to ask them about their lives and their history and, and probably the yeah. kind of conversations you'd be wanting to have even if there weren't a recorder. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When I came back to the UK after that time, I suddenly realized that I was sitting on a treasure trove of recipes and stories that would really enable, you know, someone in the West, you know, someone like my friends, just to kind of get a glimpse of what life in Iran was like. And Iran is a place with just like the most incredible cuisine, which I'm so thrilled in the last few years, you know, has been getting lots more attention. So much, yeah. Yeah, but you know, when the Saffron Tales came out, that, you know, which was only like three years ago, you know, it didn't, you know, it, it was part of that that trend, I think. And The Saffron Tales is your first book, which yeah. you wrote out of those stories and recipes from yeah. your time in Iran. Exactly. Yeah, and that was... Definitely like part memoir, very much about your own um, lived experience. And then you, your second book, Zaytun, which which uh, we're talking about today, is kind of much different in a way because it's not the experience that you grew up with, but it's a little bit more of an anthropological look at a region. Um, so how was it different to be working on that book after your first one? Yeah, it was it was both really different and really similar. I mean, uh, a thread that's run through all of my work over the last you know, 18 years has been a real love of storytelling and a real understanding that stories is how not only we better understand the world around us, but we also better understand ourselves. And um, when I was working for a human rights charity, Israel-Palestine was my brief. And so I was really familiar with the place, but also the food. You know, I was really lucky in London. Like, I live incredibly close to the Ossolengi Cafe. So, like, you know, 12, oh, 13 yeah. years ago, I, I remember first eating kind of that food and being like, wow, it's so similar to Persian food, but then it's got so many differences. And, you know, uh, food from that region was already part of my culinary repertoire. So when I was thinking about what book to write next, you know, what motivated me really clearly to write The Saffron Tales was a deep desire to not only celebrate the incredible um, culture and food of Iran, but also to challenge stereotypes of how people normally perceive Iran. And um, I think the Palestinian kitchen was another place where I felt I could use food to really share stories of a place you know, I think too often when we see depictions of places like Palestinian communities, it's either through a very narrow political prism or it's because something, you know, really bad has happened. And, and you know, of course, there are huge challenges in that region, but there's also a lot of beauty, a lot of joy and a lot of great food. And so you had been going to that region for work previously. So that was your sort of first exposure to it and to the cuisine there. Yes. So I first went in 2009, which is about 10 years ago. And I really remember it clearly because it was July. So it was really hot. And we were zipping in and out of meetings, you know, with projects that we were going to, whether it was visiting kind of olive farming communities or kind of joint um, Israeli-Palestinian kind of community initiatives. And it was quite heavy stuff because it's, you know, region which is just yeah fraught with human rights abuse um but the reason i remember it was july is because i really remember in our times off kind of walking through the markets and just it being packed with like all this color you know the color and abundance of of summer whether that was, that was like giant um watermelons kind of sweet jammy figs um incredible like berries i mean it was you know the the produce felt so alive and as i often say like in a region that feels like it's dying that just felt so important yeah and you um talk a little bit about how this book is laid out because i think it's really um i think it's really 
interesting and I learned a lot just by reading about the different regions within this region and the, and how vastly different the styles of food are um, in a in an area the size of Delaware, is that? It's so small. Yeah, so talk about how you decided to put this book together and how you decided to highlight these different cuisines. Yeah, so I really see this book as a travelogue. You know, I want to take my reader on a real culinary adventure uh, through Palestinian kitchens. So I divided the book into different chapters, uh, kind of starting kind of in the north of, of Israel, um, Akka and, and Haifa, which are these incredible seaside towns. And what's uh, the food like? How, how do you describe the food there? Yeah, so the food there, um, and actually the food of that, that region, the north region, which is the Galilee, is perhaps the most traditional Levantine type food. So, you know, the, the, the things you might think of along the lines of like a, a, a kind of bright and zippy fatouche salad, you know, maybe a tabbouleh, you know, the, all those Herby. minced herbs mm-hmm. and, and, and bulgur wheat. Because it's on the coast, they have lots of fresh seafood, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps like some sea bream that's smothered in a gorgeous like garlic tahini sauce. Mm, which um, there is one of a recipe for that in this book. There is. And then just so many stuffed vegetables, like stuffed bell peppers, stuffed eggplant, stuffed zucchini. Stuffed, stuffed with what kinds of things? Yeah, stuffed carrots. I mean, just like I feel like if Palestinians can stuff something like they will and what are they stuffing them yeah. with well a real variety of stuff so it can be with rice and maybe a minced lamb flavoured with maybe nutmeg and cinnamon kind of warming sweet spices sometimes it can be you know, plant-based with kind of chickpeas and rice. And and sometimes it can just be kind of rice and herbs. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that really struck me when I was doing the research for this book is just how plant-based the food is from, yeah. from the north. Um, it would be really common just to have a, a whole vegan meal, um, but without any like purposefulness about it. It was just an abundance of vegetables. And I love that in the book you do divide out um, a whole section on the vegan and also dairy-free and gluten-free menus because it does seem like it. this cuisine does naturally lend itself to diets that are particularly kind of trendy here right now. I know, it's funny, isn't it? I wonder if, you know, that's helped with some of the trend. But, you know, I think all Middle Eastern diets are very... I mean, the Mediterranean diet is said to be like one of the best for health in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I really wanted to make the book very practical because I'm like, I'm a home cook. You know, I want people to, this, is, this isn't a recipe book which has got, you know, dishes in it. I mean, obviously there are a few like standout dishes, but it's mainly stuff that I just want people to be able to get home from work and like quickly pull together. Yeah. And part of that referencing was about that, you know, because so many people I know are dairy-free or plant-based or, you know, perhaps just sometimes want to have that choice. Yeah. So tell me about yeah. the other so regions. Other regions. Yes. So, we'll so we have zip the Galilee in the north. So we've got the Galilee. And then we've got the food um, of the West Bank, which, you know, um, if the Galilee was really green, you know, the, the West bank is, is is not it is dry it's you know it's 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 you know there's huge water supply issues in the region but the food there reflects that so it's a lot more grilled meats um, a lot more bread based as opposed to rice so we're kind of thinking about dishes such as moussakan which is this gorgeous um, kind of marinated chicken dish that's that's made with with allspice and sumac and then roasted and and layered over big huge kind of flatbreads you know and 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 the meat juices are poured over so it soaks into the bread Mm. and then you tear apart at it with your hands so very interactive eating very interactive yeah or mansuf which is this kind of really hearty lamb stew made with jameed which is a bit of it's kind of a strange ingredient it's it's a, a kind of fermented whey 
like so it's kind of got this kind of slight funky way like from cheese. milk like the milk product yeah, yeah yeah but kind of fermented mm-hmm. uh, or dried so it's it's a common ingredient throughout the middle east so you know we're talking heartier dishes and mm-hmm. more meat based mm-hmm. and then the food from gaza is just completely different as well so Gaza is a tiny strip of land and it's on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And there the focus is on lots of like seafood, but also lots of like the flavor palette is different. So the holy trinity of Gazan cuisine is garlic and green chili and dill. So like oh, wow. dill seeds and dill like fronds, like uh-huh. the leaves. And they're mashed up into pastes that are added to stews, like maybe a garbanzo stew, like a chickpea stew, or a beef stew that you would add these flavorings into. So again, just really unusual. Um, so within such a small bit of like land, there were three distinct culinary identities. So you spent a lot of time like just talking to people while you were there. I mean, it sounds like from reading the book, you're constantly <laughs> introducing the reader to new to families, to people who you cooked with and telling their stories. Um, so what was the research and the writing process like for you for this book? Yeah, so for all my books, actually, they're, they're, they're quite an adventure for me as well. You know, I... You know, the basic premise of them is that I travel around places, I cook with people in their home kitchens, and then I share recipes and stories from our times together. And sometimes that might be, you know, through social media, I'll put call out for friends of friends. Does anyone know anyone in an area? And luckily, the way the world works now, you can meet meet people that way. Other times you'd be at someone's house and then they'd be like, oh, well, you've got to try the bakery in this town. Or like my aunt's sister's cousin runs an incredible, you know, kebab place in like this place. So you you kind of have to also follow your nose. But I was really lucky in that for the book, I worked with this really cool photographer called Raya. And she was like just this really like I don't know, spirited young Palestinian woman. You know, she had kind of red hair, like pomegranate tattoos, like a real kind of cool artist. Sounds cool, yeah. And she was such a big foodie. So we would just kind of drive around in her car like with the windows blared down, listening to music and just like visiting friends of hers or or visiting people I'd learnt, met through social media or people I used to work with in my old profession. Yeah, and just... Um, it was a lot of fun, you know, we feel, I feel quite lucky to have that kind of experience as opposed to just, you know, fly in and out of a place for a week and have a fixer arrange things for you. It, it wasn't like that. It was a lot more organic. Yeah. And it seems like this, the cookbooks in general, and especially cookbooks like yours, are such a powerful medium for telling those stories. And I wonder why you think that is. Like, what, like for you, what is it about the, the cookbook, the form of the cookbook and this experience of cooking with people and and kind of telling their stories through food that 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 resonates so deeply i think that food is just so neutral you know it's such a, a neutral space where it enables a quite safe environment to be created where more challenging subjects perhaps can be broached. I mean, you know, we've all had those conversations on the dinner table that have, you know, come out of nowhere, but have perhaps challenged our thinking, you know, certainly 
growing up, my dining table was like that with my parents. Yes, you know? every, I feel like everyone's, <laughs> everyone's can be. Yeah. But so on the one hand, food is really neutral. And on the other hand, like food is really joyous. It's, it's, a, it's a place that, that, that connects us to our hearts and to our, our, our physical body. Like it's visceral. Like when you eat, you feel something from it. You don't just feel the taste of the ingredients. But I think that you can also get the taste of a culture you know just that story I shared about the sharing plate of the Masakan chicken I mean you get such an insight into Palestinian culture just by knowing that people share food in mm-hmm. such a way or meze this idea that you have small plates and you eat together that sense of communi- communality but beyond that I think that my belief is that food is inherently political I think you have to be in quite a, a privileged place to think that it isn't because for most people in the world their food choices on including us like here in you know we're in New York today but like your food choices are inherently linked to like the economy and the food systems and the environment Mm -hmm. and so people's lives just reflect that Mm -hmm. um so I just felt that it was just such a good way to tell a story about a place which let's be honest you know it can make a lot of people feel a bit like oh you know just Israel Palestine oh don't want to touch it that's a bit controversial Mm -hmm. well it doesn't have to be it's just a place they're just people just living just eating trying to survive Mm -hmm. you know And, and uh, a big thread that runs through my work in my books in my cookbooks is just really trying to show that people no matter where they are in the world have you know we've got more in common we've got more that unites us than divides us um, and food's just a great place to show that yeah and do you see that the food world now seems to be grappling with these sorts of questions of identity and 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 representation more and more because i know there was literally one sort of iconic book about Palestinian food up until the last few years. And now it seems like there are more and more coming out. And do you see this as a, like a broader trend across the food media um, and the food landscape? I think it's been a really interesting few years in general around the issues of like identity and food and the food media. I think out of many of the arts, and I was speaking to a friend yesterday who, yeah, kind of works for a, a publication and we were talking about the, the fashion section of, of where she works and saying, oh, that's so different to like the food world or it is so diverse. Yeah. So I, I think what's happened in recent years is that perhaps we've started to see the nuances in Middle Eastern food a bit more. You know, we'd never say like, oh, European food and just put it all together because mm-hmm. we know that like French food and Spanish food mm-hmm. and Italian food it's is also different. so different. Um, so I think maybe that's what started this trend a bit more. You know, Iranian Persian food getting such a lot of attention. Now Palestinian food, like the last few years, we've seen like a bunch of cookbooks about it. You know, I'd love to see more kind of Iraqi food. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see more like, you know, Tunisian food. I think it would be so great to kind of be able to look at the rich tapestry of Middle East cuisines in the nuanced way that they exist. Yeah, it's nice to know that that's happening. I, I think that you've seen this huge explosion in like Middle Eastern inspired food yeah. in the fast casual yeah. restaurants and in, you know, in, in nicer restaurants too. But it's nice to see us teasing out those nuances a bit more too. And really for your book to go so deep into this region and to really explore yeah. even within this region, all of the nuances and the differences, yeah. I think is is a really like great step forward. And I want to just, before we have to end, I do want to talk about some more recipes specifically. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know 
first of all, what some of your favorites are. Like, what are you finding yourself cooking at home if you're not completely <laughs> burned out of cooking from this book? But are there things that you kind of come back to? Um, and I'm and I'd love to know also like what you've seen readers responding to. Yeah. I mean, that is the best thing when you just see people making the dishes from yeah. all bits of the world. Ugh, it's just quite incredible. So I think that there's a few things. I think there are some of my favorite recipes in the book are ones that perhaps introduced me, even as someone who felt I was quite confident around Middle Eastern flavors, to new techniques and to new ingredients. So frike, which is a, a Palestinian grain mm-hmm. that's made from cracked wheat that's smoked. So it's basically like a kind of a smoky, yeah, bulgur wheat. It's lovely in pilafs. Um, I, and I kind of, there's a recipe in the book which I kind of riff off quite a lot where it's kind of roasted butternut squash um, with some chickpeas and, and the frique and some kale. I absolutely love that. And I really love it because it also has the, the kind of the allspice used in it in a savory way, which I think was my biggest takeaway when I was researching this book. Actually, the other kind of dishes that I really love uh there's a gorgeous kind of roasted eggplant um, with kind of tomatoes and, and, and chickpeas again. And I really love that one because of maybe just the memory I have associated with it where, you know, I kind of ate it like on a full moon in Ramallah sitting outside with like a bunch of yoga teachers um, <laughs> who, who were running these like incredible yoga classes there. And um, this one looks it's like quite it magical. Fits the vegan list. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean... There's a really good kind of lamb shawarma where I just do like a whole roast leg of lamb. But you can also do that with beef. Um, So I like that one a lot. I think the dishes that have been really popular. So there's one called an adasarian, which is uh, um, a recipe I got from a a guy called Omar Omar Barghouti. And this is kind of a riff on his recipe. And that is lentils with kind of tomatoes and, and basil and like a beautiful kind of garlicky lemon zest dressing and let's talk about desserts for a second because there are some really delicious looking I have to say I haven't cooked any of the desserts in here yet but just the the banana and tahini ice cream with date syrup has been calling my name ever since I got this book like you really have to honestly it is the quickest simplest healthiest yeah, dessert that you can make. It hops right on the yeah the vegan ice cream the the nice cream trend. The as nice they cream, call it. yeah. But it's so good, and like, and it's just banana. Like I really recommend everyone tries this because whenever I make it for someone, they're like, yeah, but what what else is in it? Like coconut milk, and I'm like, no. Nope. Frozen bananas, tahini, and salt in a blender, right? And then you blend that, and then it just be, and then you refreeze it. Yeah. Okay. So something happens to the when you whip when you kind of. Something happens to the consistency of the banana that just really works. Yeah, yeah. and then you and then you top it with date syrup yes, and sesame seeds. I love date syrup. Date syrup, I'm seeing everywhere. I'm oh, seeing lots of so new good. date syrup like brands out there yeah. now. Seems like a very um, like a pretty classic yeah. sweetener. It is, but it's just it's got such depth of flavor. You know, it's um, I just use it on everything now. I use it on my oatmeal in the morning. Yeah, it's really great on French toast. Like yeah. it's my favorite. Like maple syrup's gone. Uh, maple syrup and honey have been have <laughs> left <in> my building. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Date syrup is the new, yeah, the new big one. Um, okay, great. Well, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited about the book.
The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wartsman, with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Inamine. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.